It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, August 4th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Tonight, the California Report dedicates its entire episode to the nation's child care crisis. The report follows a California family and the convoluted series of hoops they're required to jump through, all the while paying more for daycare than for their monthly mortgage. Then we'll have your local news and weather before considering the future of an iconic Northern California landscape. We close with a commentary by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Today, we're devoting the entire show to one of the most critical issues in the state, early childhood education. Long wait lists and parents lining up overnight in hopes of landing an open spot in a daycare or preschool. These are some of the stories that have emerged since the pandemic, highlighting the nation's childcare crisis. KQED early childhood reporter Daisy Wynn brings us the story of a family in Southern California who took extraordinary measures to get access to affordable childcare. No, mommy. It's this is mommy's car. Yay! Yeah. It is On a recent morning, I tagged along with Chris and Shirley Jean as they drove their three year old twins to separate schools in the city of San Bernardino, east of LA. We're going this way. You gotta go to the school first. Oh. Chase gets dropped off at a state-funded preschool run by the San Bernardino City Unified School District. Hey, Chase. I'll see you later. Then it's another five-minute drive to get his brother Chandler to a private daycare. All right. Chandler's turn. Why do the boys go to separate schools? Well, the California State Preschool Program gives priority to kids who are poor, homeless, in foster care, or have special needs. Chase was admitted because he has a mild form of autism that requires special ed. But Chandler couldn't get in because their mother's monthly salary is above the income eligibility cap by $71. The district is helping one child make progress in in terms of education while hurting my other child. But it's California lawmakers who set the income limit when they sign off on each year's state budget. To qualify, a family's monthly income can't be more than 85% of the state median income. That means the limit for a family of four is $7,441 per month. Not a whole lot when you take taxes and inflation into account. Shirley's income as an adaptive PE teacher puts her right below that threshold, but her job requires a lot of driving, and the mileage stipend she gets for that pushed her salary just above the line. Desperate for a solution, she underwent elective surgery so she could take a medical leave and drop her monthly pay just once, which would be enough to make the cut for the preschool program in the fall. I asked for payroll to remove the mileage stipend. This is Shirley voicing her frustration at a school board meeting. So if you decide to get a decent job, such as becoming a teacher, then your children will suffer and not be allowed to attend school, at least preschool. I am an educator teaching students with disabilities, but I cannot even provide a free and affordable education for my own child. Most of the time, Shirley's husband, Chris, does the driving. 
she became the family's primary breadwinner after Chris was laid off during the pandemic. He's trying to launch a physical therapy business, but shuttling the boys takes up a lot of his day. The couple thinks the income ceiling is squeezing families like theirs and making them depend on a broken system. Should you go to work and try to work more hours to try to help support your family or just, you know, maintain the bare minimum? The Jeans pay more for daycare than they do on their monthly mortgage. But they say it has provided the boys a safe place to play and socialize after a year of staying at home to avoid the coronavirus. They say Chase is making noticeable progress in the state preschool program. He's one of 12 kids in an inclusion classroom that mixes children with disabilities with non-disabled children, allowing them to learn alongside each other. I've seen Chase grow in areas academically. When he comes home, he's always sharing something new with us. I see the growth where I never really received that information from the daycare. Publicly funded preschool began in California in the mid-60s to lift the early learning of poor kids and narrow disparities. Shirley herself went to Head Start when she was growing up in Compton, a majority black and working class part of South LA, and said it helped her get ready for school. She wants to get her sons into state preschool because academic achievement matters to her. Why are we promoting poverty? Why are we saying, like, no, don't, don't keep going, you know, limit yourself for your kids to go to school or limit yourself so that you can qualify for this housing program. Why not invest in our kids, our San Bernardino kids? These kids are from the area. They're the ones that's gonna be, that we're gonna have to depend on. So why not take that opportunity to invest in them? Melissa Davis, the director of the Boys Daycare, said she has seen families give up rather than jump through hoops to obtain subsidized care. You know, you get people that are, that are in the middle like us where we're trying to get this assistance for our kids to get help, but our, the door gets hung in our face all the time because we make this much money, but we're barely living too. Just before applying for the coming school year, Shirley learned the school district had decided to fund its own preschool classroom. Her sons are in it starting this week. And Daisy joins us now in the studio. So Daisy, what is the state doing to improve access for families like the Jeans? So the state is making record investments in early learning thanks to a surge in state revenues. The latest budget raises the income eligibility so that more families will be able to qualify. It also sets aside $18 million to begin planning for universal preschool. All right, that is KQED's Daisy Wynn. Daisy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Saul. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org slash health dash equity. Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. Personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. 
And that's the California Report for Thursday, August 4th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. Today, the Biden administration declared the monkeypox outbreak a public health emergency, allowing for faster mobilization against the rapid spread of the virus. The United States has more cases of the virus that causes a rash of blisters and flu-like symptoms than any other nation. It primarily is affecting gay and bisexual men and transgender people, though anyone can be infected. The last time the Department of Health and Human Services declared a national public health emergency was in response to the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. Quote, We are prepared to take our response to the next level in addressing this virus, and we urge every American to take monkeypox seriously, Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra wrote on Twitter. California is among the states with the most people infected which prompted Governor Gavin Newsom to declare a state of emergency in response to the worsening monkeypox outbreak on Monday. New York and Illinois also have declared emergencies over the virus. California, with 826 cases as of Thursday, trails New York, with 1,666 cases, for the states with the highest number of cases according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. There are more than 6,600 cases of monkeypox reported in the U.S. Declaring a public health emergency allows federal agencies to funnel money into vaccines, drugs and testing, access emergency funding, and hire more workers to curb the outbreak. Monkeypox is rarely fatal, and no deaths have been reported in the U.S. The disease spreads through close contact with an infected person or materials that capture respiratory droplets or bodily fluids such as bed linens, that a person with monkeypox has used. Vaccines are scarce in California and nationally, as U.S. officials take steps to expedite shipment of doses. Supplies of the monkeypox vaccine have been severely limited. Federal officials have been chastised for moving too slowly in getting and storing vaccines. This from the Sacramento Bee. Turning our attention to local weather and your air quality index. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, Tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 65, a 20% chance of showers after 3 a.m. Friday, partly sunny with a high near 86. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 0. Friday's air quality is good with a potential AQI of 25. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 53, a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms mainly after 2 a.m. Friday, a chance of showers, with thunderstorms also possible after 11 a.m. Tomorrow will be mostly cloudy with a high near 76. The area has a 50% chance of precipitation. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 22. Friday's air quality is good with a potential AQI of 27. The excessive heavy rain on top of what has already fallen this week will continue the threat of flash flooding, particularly near burn scars, small creeks, and steep terrain. The National Weather Service Flash Flood Watch remains in effect for the Truckee-Taha region until 10 p.m. this evening. Residents near recent burn scars should prepare for potential flooding impacts. Be ready to act and move to higher ground immediately should a flash flood warning be issued for your area.
and in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 65. Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 89. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 13. Friday's air quality is good with a potential AQI of 19. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The court has spoken. On July 29th, a new judgment was handed down from the California Superior Court in Placer County, shaping the future of Tahoe's Olympic Valley. A battle over a decade in the making, with environmentalists on one side and Placer County and Altera Mountain Company on the other. Will high-rises and the nation's tallest waterslide claim Olympic Valley as their home? KVMR's Felton Pruitt has the answer. We're talking with Tom Moores. He's the executive director of Sierra Watch, who have some exciting news about the final judgment of the Olympic Valley development situation, I guess we'll call it. Yes, we, we, have, we have great news for Olympic Valley, for Tahoe, and the Sierra Nevada. A California court last week issued its final judgment in the long-running fight over development in Tahoe's Olympic Valley, formerly known as Squaw. And we won. And when I say we, I mean we as a grassroots movement and Sierra Watch and the conservationists who have been on an 11-year journey to protect Olympic Valley from reckless development. And again, uh, the court has sided with us and has driven a stake into the massive Vegas-style development that's been looming over Tahoe for 11 years. Would you say that John Muir has a smile on his face today, Tom? Well, it's interesting you bring up John Muir because the developers, the would-be developers in this case, uh, Altera Mountain Company, who bought uh, what was then known as Squaw Valley in 2011, they actually tried to enlist uh, John Muir on their side, claiming that John Muir would indeed be in favor of a massive indoor water park in the Sierra Nevada. <laughs> and the Sierra Club, uh, in, in, its, in its wisdom, they actually asked Altera to stop invoking John Muir uh, as a, um, as a uh, posthumous supporter of massive development in the Sierra. So it's interesting you bring up John Muir. I, 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 don't, I don't pretend to uh, speak for him, but I know that what we've done is in the spirit of the work that he did more than 100 years ago to bring people together to protect this incredible mountain range. So talk about the area that's actually going to be protected now and not a water park. KVMR listeners have been along, along for this ride for more than 11 years as, as we've been working to, to keep Tahoe Truckee true. The development proposal for Olympic Valley would have been truly transformative for the Tahoe region. Series of high rises, condos, an indoor water park that uh, they boasted would have North America's tallest indoor water slide and arcades and indoor skydiving. Things that are fun, but not what we go to the Sierra Nevada for. And we embarked on a grassroots effort to stop that development. And maybe even more importantly, to stand up for our mountain values. And again, we won. We, we showed that we can work together to stand up to a private equity bully 
uh, and kick their reckless development off the hill. They might try to come back uh, and seek another round of approvals. And if it takes another 11 years uh, to stick up for Tahoe, we're ready. So you've not only helped the environment, the plants, the trees, but also all of the animals in that area. Yeah, there's some real basic conservation issues at stake, whether it's uh, the, the local watershed in Olympic Valley, the stars in the night sky, uh, even climate change issues, because the development would be so massive, it would be a threat to winter itself. But this is the type of development that would have an impact that, that would be felt by, by everyone. I mean, for example, up in Tahoe, it's really difficult to find a place to live. This development would have created a lot of relatively low-paying jobs and not enough workforce housing, such that 500 people would be new employees in Tahoe looking for a place to live. Uh, There's also issues of public safety because of fire danger, and there's only one way out of Olympic Valley. And if there were a fire and this development were to happen, it would have taken more than 10 hours just to get out of Olympic Valley. So there's a real broad range of issues at stake here, and we're really excited that we've been able to stand up for all those values. So your fight over the last 11 years has not been free. You guys need support at Sierra Watch and all of the other conservation entities that are trying to protect our areas. How can people support Sierra Watch? Well, thanks, and I, I appreciate that question. What Sierra Watch really is, is it's this shared effort of people who are passionate about the mountains, and maybe they couldn't take on a fight like this as an individual, but we we pull that together into these long-term, committed, strategic campaigns. And again, it's something that's been going on for generations in the Sierra Nevada. I feel like we're just the latest chapter in it. And if people want to learn more about Sierra Watch, they should go to sierrawatch.org. They can sign the petition to keep Tahoe Truckee true, along with some 22,000 other folks. And during this journey, we even made a movie. There's an hour-long movie that's, and I'm a little biased, but very entertaining, called The Movie to Keep Tahoe True. You can check it out on our website, uh, because these are all parts of what is really an incredible story of us working together to protect what we love. Well, congratulations on your long fight, and uh, I, all I, I guess we can say is keep up the good work. They do keep us busy, but today is a good day to to recognize our shared success, maybe go out for a hike, and enjoy the splendor that is our Sierra Nevada. We've been talking with Tom Morris. He's the executive director of Sierra Watch. Thanks for your time, Tom. It's a pleasure. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Like many people, I sometimes feel like a failure in a nincompoop, a know-nothing, a has-been, an imposter who is about to be found out. And just insert your favorite insult here. If you were my coaching client, I could tell you more about this phenomenon and how to combat it. But since most of you are innocent radio listeners, and a few may abhor the very idea of life coaching, I won't bother you with details. Suffice it to say, the scaffolding of this self-torture can be dismantled, put back on the truck, and driven away, but it takes time and practice. I can, however, teach you a trick, and here it is. 
I just got a note from one of my clients that started out, Dear Molly, this is a reminder of what you mean to me and many other people. Thank you for walking alongside me through happiness, fear, and grief. This came on a day when I have a cold, which you may notice in my voice, and it's too hot outside, but otherwise things are going fine. If I had been feeling elated or depressed, I might have read the card and thought either, sweet, or, oh yeah, sure, right, and then gone about my business. But since I am in the middle, which is to say calm and dispassionate, I know exactly what to do with those words. I copy them into the long-running document in my computer called People Love You, Molly. My friend Bob, a motivational speaker, told me to do this and then review some of the compliments anytime I was about to go on stage. He said it would change my energy, even if I thought it was a sappy thing to do, which, frankly, I did. I am a skeptic, and what's worse, a New England skeptic. My raised eyebrow has many generations of raised eyebrows behind it. My people can barely stand to listen to a compliment, much less keep it on hand to review later. But I've learned skepticism is often a luxury and a privilege, born of judgment, distancing us from one another, and some of these tactics of open-heartedness and self-compassion actually work. So I did what Bob said, and now I have seven pages of quotations from clients and readers and listeners and friends, and even one book reviewer. When I feel imposter syndrome coming on, I browse through this document for a minute and immediately feel better, stronger and saner. It does wonders for my stage fright, which is not horrible, but does wash over me every time I'm in the wings, waiting for my name to be announced. Maybe you aren't a public figure, but we all get compliments and thanks for what we do. Start noticing yours. Some are nonverbal. Write them down. The smile at a toll booth or a coffee shop. The hug from a kid you know. A thank you note. A blown kiss. Here, start with this. I appreciate your listening to my commentary on KVMR enormously. I wouldn't be doing this if you weren't there to hear me. You're the people who helped turn me into a better writer, a gift I cherish. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Thursday, August 4th. Visit us online at kvmr.org for anything you may have missed in tonight's newscast. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties and San Francisco to Lake Tahoe, milkmancompany.com, and Palisades Tahoe, presenting Brews, Jazz, and Funk Fest, August 13th and 14th, 2 to 8 p.m., 
featuring varieties of beer, also performances by Orgone, Rebirth Brass Band, Conbrio, and Delvon Lamar Organ Trio. PalisadesTahoe.com Keep it tuned to your community radio station. At 6.30, it's soundings. Tonight's episode, The North American Monsoon, has always seemed odd. Now, new research could explain it. Al Stoller investigates tonight on soundings. Then, you know the drill. At 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Friday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.